2: From WB Easy Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it, we made it to another weekend. If you have listened to pretty much any episode of this show, you probably know I am kind of obsessed with the idea of delight. It's something that I love a lot. It's a word that I was accused of overusing in an iTunes review many years ago. So you can imagine my own delight when I came across Ross Gay's Book of Delights. I think it is just a gorgeous book, it's one of my favorites. It essentially involves an essay every day about one delight for a year. Roske is a poet and professor, and he is wonderful. And his definition of delight is pretty great. It essentially can be anything. It could be about pecans or his favorite scarf or bringing a tomato plant onto a plane.
1: Like the bird lands on your shoulder and you like, you lose it. You're like, oh, oh my God. You know, and the practice of that book is to like pay attention.
2: Now, in Ross's newest collection of essays, he is shifting his gaze from delight and examining joy.
1: It is not occasional. Joy is there and we join it or we enter it or we reside there.
2: His newest essay collection, Inciting Joy, reflects on the complexity of life and the moments that create solidarity through joy and
1: grief. It's like the light that emanates from us as we help each other carry our sorrows.
2: Over the course of the book, he covers a wide array of topics that range from the death of his father to basketball to gardening and the beauty of a cover song. And he is our guest on today's show. Ross, welcome back to Nerdette.
1: Thank you. Glad to be with you again.
2: So you start the book by talking about how joy is kind of typically considered to be not like a serious pursuit. It's silly. It's fun. It's not something we should think about too hard. Do you think this book is sort of your attempt to take joy seriously? Or is it more of an attempt to take joy joyfully?
1: Oh, good question. Um, <laughs> I It's absolutely an intention to take joy very seriously and to sort of argue that I think first to argue that joy is as serious a thing as there is, and then to sort of take it as seriously as possible and to study it like that. Mm-hmm. I love how you <laughs> asked, asked that question. I think, yeah, the answer is probably yes, to, to to consider it joyfully, which which maybe means as richly and complicatedly and um, yeah, gathering uply as possible.
2: It's not at all a looking away from sorrow. It's an embracing of life, including sorrow.
1: It's It emerges from sorrow as far as I think of it as far as i as yeah. far as i think of it it does not exist without sorrow like and that's sort of the thing it's and that's to me what makes it a grave a serious and a grave emotion because it emerges from the grave and when when i think of the grave i don't mean i don't just mean serious i mean that we die mm. yeah
2: you mean the literal grave <laughs> yes
1: yes yes there's this thing and i keep thinking of it like philip glass at some point talked about in in a documentary about like now he knows that the music is always there. Like there's just a stream or something running mm-hmm. beneath the ground and he can kind of dip his bucket or whatever into it. Oh, I love that. Beautiful. And it's sort of like, it feels like that is a thing maybe with joy too, that it's there. Well, what are the mm-hmm. practices or what are the things that incite, you know, our ability to join that underground stream?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think what's also really important about whatever metaphor we're using is that, you know, and you clarify this in the in the intro too. so often, especially in this capitalist world, we think of joy as something that you either achieve or buy as opposed to something you dip your bucket into.
1: Yeah, totally, totally.
2: So the title of the book is Inciting Joy. Incite is a really fascinating verb here, I think, just because, I mean, even the definition has kind of this negative aspect, inciting a riot, inciting violence, something like unlawful about it. Mm -hmm. How'd you land on that one?
1: Well, there is something unlawful about it. I mean, when I think about like the sort of the potentials of joy, which is to say, join in our sorrows, which is to say, recognizing we're connected to one, other, know one another, mm-hmm. which is to say that our loves um, are co- are often common and profound, that is disruptive, actually, to a particular yeah. kind of order and a particular kind of order, frankly, that is like, yeah, they killed Jesus for that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's tied into the consumer and the thing you're sort of talking about like that. I think a requirement of capitalism or a requirement of this sort of profoundly alienated mode of living that we find ourselves in, I can speak for myself, and I think maybe Mm -hmm. I'm not alone. Yeah. A a kind of antidote would be recognizing and practicing and studying the ways that we are fundamentally not alienated from each other or, say, the earth.
2: Mm -hmm. I love the idea that, you know, as you say, joy is what emerges from care and pain, joy exists in tandem with sorrow. And, And joy through sorrow and through care and pain also creates solidarity, which is what
1: you're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. And I love that you said tandem. That word is such a pretty word. I don't know the etymology of that word, but like, Mm -mm. and even like joy exists in tandem. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) Joy exists in connection. And, Mm -hmm. and, And I think one of the practices too is to sort of Uh, broaden our notion of tandemness or broaden our notion of like what, what constitutes connection, you know, like Mm -hmm. it feels really important to recognize that you're connected to the rain and that you're connected to the trees and you're connected to the, you know, the squirrel or your neighbor. Mm -hmm.
2: That's gorgeous. I loved, that reminds me of what you said. I'm not going to be able to iterate it exactly, but you can help me. The idea that The way our skin changes in the sun reminds (laughs) us that we're more similar to sunflowers than we may think. Yeah,
1: so I'd say something like heliotropic, something or other.
2: It's just gorgeous. It's just so good. It's so good. So you talk about plants and living things a lot in this book. You talk about gardening. You speak really beautifully about the idea of privilege mm. in that specific context. And I would love to discuss that with you because you end up using the word disprivilege a lot, which is one that I hadn't heard, but I think is a really important and helpful framing around a lot of the conversations that are happening these days.
1: It feels to me that the, the use of the word privilege often kind of imagines that there's something almost biological about inequity, hmm. you know, that <laughs> it's almost like um preordained or it's just like that's just how it is, as opposed to um a set of decisions, often policy decisions, you know, often other imposition. Kind of, imposition. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea that inequity is in fact an imposition. Destitution does not happen by accident. Destitution happens by choice. So like, put it like this, when I can get, turn my water on and not be poisoned, I'm not privileged. When you can't turn your water on and not be poisoned, you're Mm disprivileged.
2: Yeah. I just thought that was really interesting and and such a fascinating way of, you know, addressing so many systemic issues that I think so many, like more and more people seem aware of them and able to talk about them. But I think you're right. There is still sort of this like, well, I can't help my privilege. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do about all that other stuff, you know?
1: I think there's something almost comforting. And when I say comforting, I mean like, oh, well, it sort of disarms us actually from understanding that.
2: The active forces at play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That there's actions that we're in the midst of actions. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's fascinating. So another thing that comes up in this book a lot, which I found completely delightful is cover songs.
1: Oh, good. Me too. (laughs) Forever.
2: (laughs) What do you like so much about a cover song? I mean, it seems like kind of it's it's such a perfect little nugget in so many ways, you know.
1: Yeah, totally. I was just writing a little essay about walking into this coffee shop and Lauren Hill, The Fugees, mm. was on and her singing roberta flex um killing me softly with his song so good famous cover beautiful cover and then i was thinking this other thing which is that i'll be sure covered that song too in like the late 80s like that's the version that i really grew up with actually (laughs) but there's so it's three there's three covers inside of um the fuji's cover a
0: stranger to
1: just so beautiful to me but partly what's so amazing to me about that is that you know we're always riffing on each other which feels beautiful which just feels like yeah solidarity solidarity fundamental and the more we can study that and honor that and love that like yo we are riffing on each other it's beautiful
2: yeah
1: when I was writing about Luther Vandross covering Dionne Warwick's a house is not a home I talk at length about the 1988 NAACP image awards where he's singing Mm -hmm. the cover to Dionne Warwick there's a kind of interaction between them that's so lovely. And there's a look on her face that I contemplate a lot and the look, and she's kind of crying a little bit and wiping away tears and the look and the understanding to me is that she's witnessing how big the boat of her song is, you know, Mm. and that's what covers are beautiful to me. There's another thing, you know, my friend Noti told me that, I mean, she said she was listening to some cover songs and she was like, there's something about the cover that suggests there's enough. Mm
2: that's so fascinating because you could totally make the argument that the cover implies that it's not enough because there needed to be a new version of it
1: you know what i mean yeah 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 you can say that yeah you can say it. yeah i think you're absolutely right and i think Noty's right too i think there's the yes the feeling of like um
2: like if all you had was this song you could still do it so many different ways and it would be perfect
1: every way exactly exactly yeah <laughs> and it would be a different song and it would be pointing back and, and an expression of gratitude to Dion warwick
2: After the break, we hear why all of Ross's students
0: always receive A's. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO Original Limited series.
2: education in a number of different ways mm-hmm. in this book. You have a lot of lovely insights. Uh, is it true that you really do give all your students A's these days?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I wouldn't grade them if I if I, if I I didn't have to push a button. I if wouldn't. you didn't yeah. have to.
2: And you made that decision after you got tenure?
1: <laughs> I did. I mean, I think I probably got alert to that as a possibility around the time. But I remember sitting in a room where the writer Fred Moten was talking about um, teaching, And he talked about a professor of his who just gave everyone A's at the beginning of the semester so that then we could get to work. And that just like changed my whole approach. It wasn't immediately after that, but it was eventually where I was like, it doesn't do the thing that I'm interested in doing.
2: Mm, Which is making beautiful shit together.
1: Which is making beautiful shit together and which is like sort of encouraging or making the space for us to sort of be mutually bewildered.
2: Ooh, I love that. Yeah, how much do grades need to play into that as much as, you know, if you could just say, "Hey, listen, this is off the table. You don't need to worry about this. Behave as if you, you know?" Yeah,
1: yeah. and to me, some of the stuff that I'm trying to do is to like let us study how to care for one another. If the if the grade is actually ultimately is the most important thing, which is also to say that my approving of you, which is also to say probably you're competing with your your classmates, then the idea of care is automatically out the window. It can't be, it can't be the most important thing. I'd be happy to hear how it could be.
2: Mm. So what's something delightful that's happened to you lately?
1: You know, I was, um, I've been on a little bit of a reading tour. um, Mm. So I was just, oh God, I read in Philly and I grew up right outside of Philly. I have family in Philly, Mm -hmm. and dear friends in Philly. And I was, reading this one, um, the beginning of this one essay about laughter, and mm. and in this moment of the, of the essay, I'm sort of talking about how we often are laughing about with, um, around our dead. And mm. I was saying uh, how my papa, who died at like five foot two, but I guess he was like six feet tall at some point, maybe. And <laughs> so when he was in the hospital, you know, he had like a zillion surgeries, like he had knee replacement, knee fuse, back surgery, everything, mm. everything and by the end he was five 52 but he would still tell the doctors he was 6 feet tall <laughs> and i was telling that i would read that little part of the essay and my my cousin amber who's exactly my age as i was midway through it through saying it she like she was walking in a little bit late and she cackled and she cackled <laughs> and she cackled so loud that the audience actually applauded <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, my God, that's beautiful. Something I really have been reveling in lately, which is very related to that, is just the idea of, like, really utilizing all the different words that exist to describe laughs. Oh,
1: yeah, I love it. I love it
2: like cackle is a really good one and it's so specific and perfect and like guffaw oh, is also love it. Yeah. adjacent and just so you know it's like chortle. sometimes i yes and even like i i was trying to think of a way to describe the laughter that bubbles up out of you when you kind of don't
1: expect oh, it oh yeah
2: and the best word i could come up with was effervescent
1: oh, i love that
2: right it's just I such a that. such a pleasure
1: yeah i love that
2: and this was such a delightful Just fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time, Ross. I appreciate you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. So fun to talk to you.
2: That was the ever delightful Ross Gay. His new essay collection is called Inciting Joy. Up next, we are going to hear from some of you, dear listeners. We asked y'all what you are especially grateful for this year. And as always, you showed up. This is Nicole from Boston. I'm so thankful to have a warm and cozy home and loving friends and family to spend the holidays with. Hi, this is Rachel from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I am thankful for my Shox headphones and my library card so that I can listen to audiobooks on Hublot and Libby. I am thankful for my friends, for the privilege of being a student, even if it means I graduate into recession, and the joy of being able to choose to live near my family and see them often. This year I'm feeling especially grateful for spending time with my mom and dad. Um, I moved back to my hometown during the pandemic and I had like a lot of friends there who all moved away and it's been really hard to make friends as an adult working from home, so I've done a lot of just calling my parents or hanging out with them, having dinners together. And it's just been so nice. So as hard as it's been to have like not a lot of friends around, I really wouldn't trade that time that I've gotten to kind of reestablish an adult relationship with my mom and dad.
3: Hey, this is Liz from Roseville. We had kind of like one of those worst case scenarios that you never really think about happen this year. And uh, somehow out of all of it, we had the best possible outcome, the best and the worst. Is that something to be thankful for? I think it is. This is Jen Makes Things from San Diego. And this has been the absolutely most chaotic, stressful, life-changing year of my life. Literally everything about it just dumped into a high-speed blender. I mean, with the lid off, spat me out all over the room. Your relationship ended. I moved out, so I lost my house. My dog died a month later. Two cats died during the pandemic. I lost my job. Everything about my entire life looks nothing like it did a year ago. And I could not be more grateful to have had this experience because I have learned so much about myself, about what is important to me, about the people that are important to me, it's one thing to know in theory that your friends will drop everything and literally pick you up off the floor and house you for four months. It's an entirely different experience to live that and to have them show up for you in that way. So I am just so incredibly grateful for the experience of this year, even though the chaos is nowhere near over. <laughs> I still have no idea what I want to be when I grow up, which is terrifying at 43. But yeah, I have never been a more fully realized version of myself, but I am so incredibly grateful for this experience, even though it nearly broke me, but it didn't. And uh, at the end of the day, I know that if I can survive this, I can survive anything.
2: Hey, Nerdette, this is Catherine. It's been almost seven years since I had a job that gave me any kind of personal or professional fulfillment. And now I have that and I get to do it with amazing people. And for that, I am just so truly thankful and obviously also for your podcast because it's the best. Nicole, Rachel, Liz, Jen, Zoe, Abby, Catherine, thank you all so much for sending in those voice memos. I think the theme along all of those is so gorgeous and honestly really resonant with what Ross was talking about too, right? This is all about how we are all in this together. And I just want to say how grateful I am for all of y'all. So thank you as always for listening to Nerdette. I also want to give you a quick, like, extra bonus holiday announcement, which is our December book club pick, which is Hernan Diaz's Trust. It is excellent. I can't wait for you all to read it. Also, I want to make sure you know we have a pretty sweet Facebook group where Nerdette listeners get to hang with each other, chat about crochet or, like, gift ideas for coworkers. It's pretty fun. You can join at facebook.com slash groups slash the show is produced by me and Anna Baumann, along with Sam Deer, and our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. Have a great weekend, y'all. Take care.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen, Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO Original Limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.